good morning. All right, y'all talking. That's that's a good sign. Good sign. How about this? Uh, Merry Christmas. I know we're two weeks out, but uh, I'm already excited about it. And uh, truth be told, I'm a dad. You know, gifts and stuff don't really come all that much to us. Uh, but I, I just like the season. I uh, I love Christmas and uh, much of what goes on with the season. And so uh, I, I just like celebrating. Like you get in the car with me, uh, you're going to hear Christmas music. It's just going to play. And um, and and I like um, uh, there's a group uh, acapella group Straight No Chaser. It's not a drink. I'm just saying there. Uh, but I I listen to them and and I enjoy it. And me and my daughter. Whenever she's in a car and she doesn't have her headphones on, we, we listen to it together. And, um, and so we love, uh, love Christmas season and just um, everything that it represents. Um, but I, I, I most love it because it seems like it's one of the uh, happiest times of the year. Um, no matter where you go, you can almost just find a hint of joy uh, in any environment that you find yourself at. And so, um, so it just makes it a really sweet time. And, um, and so we just want to spend uh, the remainder of this month celebrating that. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. So, you know, uh, the worship team is like, listen, let's just, let's celebrate the coming of Jesus, that, that his birth. Let's spend this entire month doing that. And uh, but in our series uh, called Fear Not is, is essentially about that as well. And we've got some messages uh, that we believe the Lord gave to us to share with you. But it's all centered around the birth of Jesus, right? Like it's, it's just all got to be about him because uh, it's not a cliche. Jesus is truly the reason for the season, right? But there are some things within uh, the Christmas season that uh, are kind of funny to me. I have, I have a question for you guys. Um, have you ever tried to make sense out of something that's completely nonsensical? Like, have, have you ever spent time trying to figure out if it is even possible for this to make sense? Anybody ever done that? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, all right. Somebody said yes. Sorry. Um, so I, I, I think about this all the time at Christmas season, especially when you're out and you kind of observe what's taking place or some of the things particularly for sale. So can I, can I show you all some things that I, I believe are completely nonsensical that are realistic gifts for Christmas? I was just looking around and I saw these things and I just, for the life of me, can't understand why these things are there. First one, first one is this. Uh, it's called a Pooch selfie. Pooch selfie. Let's see that. Um, I don't know how to make sense of that. I, uh, the dog looks at the ball, and uh, you, you, this is a real gift, by the way. This is a, a, a real, somebody said I love it. We pray for them. Uh, 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 second thing, second thing, check this out. It's, it's called a belly button brush. Uh, yes, yeah, it comes in a very nice case. Uh, I, I don't know why you would need that. Uh, you know, they have these things called wash rags and soap uh, and water. Uh, but anyhow, I don't know if that's belly button blush. Uh, not, not really for sure why you would need to blush your belly button, but I, I think it's kind of weird. Um, la last thing, last thing, this is one of my favorites. Uh, Christmas season, hold on before you put it up. Christmas season is all about scents, right? Like, you know, you, you come to my house and my wife, I have candles lit and everything smells good. But they have some of these, especially for men, especially for men. Babe, don't get this for me, by the way. Uh, especially for men. Uh, they're called mandos. Mandos. Pull, pull them up. Mandos, yeah, Man mandos, mandos. Let me tell you some of the, the, the fragrances you get from mandos. Uh, locker room, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
yeah, locker. Everybody loves that locker room smell. Uh, grease, oil, and gasoline. It is called the auto shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and one of the most popular ones, believe it or not, these are real things, by the way. One of the most popular ones is called Porta Pot. I promise you, I'm not, I am not lying. It's Porta Pot. And um, just to give you a description, the Porta Pot mandel smells like a porta pot. Uh, I don't know why somebody would invent that, and I don't know why people would buy it, but clearly it's a, a popular, um, popular gift. Um, that makes absolutely no sense to me. The more that I try to wrap my mind around some of the things that I see and experience this year or this time of the season, I'm like, these are some completely nonsensical things around this special time of the year. Uh, but those are silly things. There, there are some other things in life, some other things that we experience where we find ourselves trying to make sense out of nonsense. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what kind of brought me to this conclusion is really the story that we are venturing in today. As we're talking about fear or not, we're talking about the story of Joseph today, Mary's husband. And um, I'm thinking about Joseph and the predicament that he's in. And I'm asking myself, how can Joseph make sense out of this that in the physical sense would be completely nonsensical? It just does not make sense to the human mind, to the human eye, how this situation that Joseph finds himself in how does this make sense that this woman that he is pledged, that he is engaged to, how she approaches him and lets him know, tells him that she is pregnant. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to worry about anything because the baby belongs to God. Making sense out of nonsense, completely nonsensical to me. So before we dive in, let us look at the scripture, just one verse, Matthew uh, chapter 1 verse 20. And uh, from the King James Version, and these are the words which you will find. But while he, he being Joseph, thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. But while Joseph thought on these things, can you imagine how Joseph feels? Um, the Bible actually earlier in this very chapter, you see that they describe Joseph, Matthew describes Joseph as a righteous or a just man. He, he's a good guy. He's, he's done what he's supposed to do for his community. He serves uh, in the church like he, he's the guy that you want your daughter to date. And now after he's done the right things, Joseph finds himself now in relationship with the woman. And she says that she's pregnant. She's supposed to be a virgin. And Joseph is trying to figure out his next. Next step. So the Bible says, but while he thought on these things, and I can imagine the litany of things that's going on through Joseph's mind as he's trying to make sense out of the situation that he had nothing to do to find himself there. He's done all the right things. Have you ever experienced that? Where you've done all the right things, all the necessary things, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a, in a position that you didn't ask for? You, you didn't ask for it. You did everything that you were supposed to do. And now you are having to deal oftentimes with somebody else's mess or a mess that someone else created. You ever been there? Joseph, Joseph is sitting there and he's trying to make it all add up. I can hear his conversation. God, I did everything that I was supposed to do. 
I've been the righteous, the just man that you've called me to be. I'm trying to make it all make sense. God, how do I find myself here? And so he's a righteous man. So, so scripture says that he, was try, he had planned to take Mary and divorce her. Let, let you know, even though they are engaged according to, to, uh, to the law, which they were up under, um, when you were engaged, you could not just break up with the person and move on to the next. Actually, you were still legally married from the moment that you professed your engagement, and therefore you had to go through the proper channels in order to be divorced, even though the vows have not been taken and the wedding had not been, or the marriage had not been consummated. And so he's got to legally divorce her, but Joseph, Joseph was a just, a compassionate man. And so the Bible tells us that he was trying to figure out, how can I divorce her quietly? He didn't want to shame her. He didn't want to put her out there. He didn't, he didn't want because, you know, according to law, what would happen to Mary being uh, married or engaged to him, she would be stoned because of her behavior. And so Joseph, being a compassionate man, he didn't want poor Mary to be stoned. He didn't want that to be the case. So he said, I'll take her away. And I'll divorce her privately because I don't want her to be filled with shame and I don't want her to suffer because of what she's done. So he's by himself, and he, he's thinking, he's contemplating all these things that's going on. But I'll tell you what, I, I, don't, I don't think that Joseph's decision is simply about divorce. I don't think that he's simply contemplating how do I divorce. I think it's, it's much more than that. It's much more than how do I divorce her. I believe there are some, some other things going on because imagine, imagine the conversation of these, these faithful Jewish followers of God and they know the story. They know what's supposed to take place. And I can imagine there's a part of Joseph where he's speaking to Mary because of his learning. He knows that what she's talking about, what she's mentioning has a little bit of prophetic legitimacy it's not new news to him and so because that is the case I can imagine what's kind of going on in his head and he's thinking about it more and more he's pondering whether or not this could actually be true so I think that Joseph is contemplating about three things honestly maybe more than that but three that I could think of the first one I've already mentioned which is his his whether or not and how he can go about divorcing her the second thing is something that throughout history, not only is Joseph battling at this moment, but throughout history, people have battled, you know, from the start of Christendom. And that is simply this. Is this woman named Mary who is pledged to be married to Joseph, even though she is pregnant, is she a virgin? I believe that's the first thing that Joseph has to wrestle with. What do we do with the virgin birth? What do we do? How do we figure out? Does it make sense? Remember, Joseph. Joseph was a, was a righteous man. This was not unfamiliar with him. He grew up in all the Jewish customs. And he would remember scriptures like Isaiah 7 and 14. It will come to him. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because with Joseph's upbringing, this would not be new news to him. He knows that the stories, the prophecies talk about the Messiah coming by way of a virgin. So this wouldn't be new news to Joseph. But I bet Joseph isn't the only one who wrestles with that idea. I, I bet there's some of you even in here 
who may question the validity of the virgin birth because, you know, the, the historians tell us that the, the, the virgin birth of Christ isn't the only virgin birth that's told. I mean, for God's sake, before Jesus, Buddha was supposed to be born to a virgin. The difference between Jesus and Buddha is Buddha has a grave and Jesus does not. There are other, other gods who are supposed to have been born by a virgin birth, but there's, no, there's nothing that backs up the claims as much as those about Jesus Christ. But rather than going there, let, let me just tell you why the virgin birth itself is important. If I could give you a few things. I love how um, the writer Donna McLeod, in the person of Christ, he writes this. He says, the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism. Informing us that all that follows belongs to the same order itself and that if we find it offensive, there is no point in proceeding further. Basically, McLeod is saying if the virgin birth, if you could speak past it and say that it is unimportant in our Christianity, that there's no point in you moving any further in the story of Christianity. It is imperative. Is it a very important part of this story? And you cannot have the perfect Christ without having him being born to a, a virgin. I'll prove my point in just a moment. I'll give you just a few things and we'll move past this. One of the first things why the virgin birth is significant is this. It gives Jesus a heavenly origin, which means the virgin birth confirms Jesus' identity as the true son of God. If Joseph would have been his earthly father or anyone else for that matter, if, if Mary would have slept with another man and Jesus had an earthly father, then Jesus is not God in the flesh, he is not the son of God. None of those attributes that we give unto him, none of those would matter. None of those would make sense if he had an earthly father. It gives him a heavenly origin. If he is not part God, part man, then he is not Jesus at all. He has to have this heavenly origin. The second thing is this. It gives Jesus a sinless nature. It gives him a sinless nature. If, if a man, if a human, if humanity was the seed that was passed on to Jesus by way of his father, then that means that the sin that has inhabited each one of us would then be alive in Jesus Christ, and he would no longer be the purified sacrificial lamb that was come to us. If he does not have God as his father, if he has a human seed, then Jesus himself is not, is not sinless, and you and I are not saved. The third thing is this, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Back to the point that I just made before. There'd be, there'd be no salvation because God required a sacrifice that was without spot or blemish. And Jesus was the only one who walked the planet who embodied that. And then the last thing is this, simply because the Bible says so. <laughs> Old Testament talks about it in many places. New Testament speaks about it. Because the Bible says so, the Bible confirms it. The, the, the Bible actually works with itself and tells the story. If the Bible says so, then we must deem it to be so. It must be true. But then I love how, how Mark Driscoll, he always says things so bluntly. And so I love how he says, listen to this. If the virgin birth of Jesus is untrue, then the story of Jesus changes greatly. We would have a sexually promiscuous young woman lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son, raising that son to declare that he was God, and then joining his religion. But if Mary is nothing more than a sinful con artist, then neither she nor her son Jesus should be trusted, because both 
the clear teachings of Scripture about the beginning of Jesus' early life and the character of his mother are at stake. We must contend for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. If the virgin birth isn't so, if it's not true, then we might as well toss the rest of it to a side because that means we've all been fooled. We've, we've been bamboozled. We've been hoodwinked, like Malcolm X said. We, we have nothing to stand on. The virgin birth is untrue. You cannot have Jesus, the purified Savior, without the story of him being born of a virgin. But going back to Joseph, I don't even believe that the virgin birth is his greatest dilemma. It's a, it's a tremendous thing, but considering the fact that we know him to be a faithful follower of God, of Jehovah, because he's a faithful follower the virgin birth would make sense to him. It, I, I think that he can sit and he can ponder on so many things that there was a greater, a greater thing at stake that he could figure on. I mean, he, he would know. He would know about the prophecies in Scripture that, that talked about all these things. And at this stage in their life, all of it makes sense. The prophecies say that, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Joseph would say, check. That, that would be the case. It would say that he would be born of a virgin, Mary. That would be check. It said that he would be born among sorrows, check, because they were inhabitants of Israel who was an unimportant people, born in an unimportant land. They were under occupation of the Roman government, check. All those things would be true. None of this would matter to him because Joseph would then have to ask himself this question. Bethlehem, yes. Virgin, yes. Unimportant people in an occupy. Yes, all of those born and all of that makes sense. Here is Joseph's greatest dilemma, I believe, in this story. Mary makes sense to me. I don't make sense in this story. Everything else makes sense. All of it points to this can be true. But God, where do I fit in? I get the rest of it, but none of the prophecies say. That Jesus would be born and would be reared by a man who was as unimportant as I. Can I, can I give you all a historical fact? You know how it says that Joseph and Jesus were carpenters? Can I tell you that that's not a full translation of their job? Um, carpenter is just a simple way of describing it. Actually, it's probably more like a community handyman. Um, for instance, for instance, Mr. Paul's here, and uh, Mr. Paul has uh, Mr. Paul has a white son. If you did not know it, and uh, his son is named Chris. Chris is my brother. Love him to death. Chris would personify what Jesus and Joseph's job was. Here's here's what what does. Um, if I need Chris to fill to uh, work on my car, I can call him and Chris will work on my car. And, uh, and I had some issues with drywall in my house, and I called Chris, and Chris came and fixed my drywall. Uh, my hot water tank went out, and I called Chris, and he fixed my hot water tank. And no matter what you need, you can call Chris, and Chris can be the one who will come and fix it. And here's what Chris will say when you pay Chris. Uh, just give me what you think I'm worth. And that's... That's, that's how you pay him. He doesn't have a price. He doesn't have a legit, he didn't go to school for these things. He just picked them up. He's not an educated man. He's, he's a bright, brilliant guy, but he's not, he doesn't have all the certifications that if you go to a, a body shop or an HVAC tech, none of those things does he have. He's just here, and he's willing to work for whatever you can give him. Where I used to live, where I grew up in the hood, where I grew up, we used to just give a guy a pack of cigarettes or a six-pack of beer. 
And whatever you needed them to take care of, they would take care of. The way that Jesus and Joseph work looks more like Chris and the guys that I grew up around than it does this professional carpenter. That's why whenever I see the passion of the Christ and they have Jesus with this and she's reflecting Jesus making this, this chair for the first time, I'm thinking, no, nah, that, that wouldn't be his craft. He would be the guy that whatever you need, you just call and ask him and he'd come and he'd run and he'd, he'd fix whatever you need him. I could imagine Joseph trying to figure out, Mary makes sense, virgin, Bethlehem makes sense, yes, uh, this land of sorrow makes sense, but God, where do I fit in? I am unschooled, I am not rich, I am uneducated, where do I fit in in this story? And behold, as he sleep, as he was sitting and thinking on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and it says these words, and these words were so true, it changed Joseph's attitude towards this story. He says, behold, Joseph, thou son of David. Don't rush past those words. Those words are of the utmost importance. Behold, Joseph, thou son of David. What the angel was saying to Joseph is this. There's one prophecy that you discounted. Bethlehem, you was on point. The virgin, you were on point. A land of sorrow, you were on point. But you forgot that Mary does not qualify in one place. She is not of the line of David the king. Oh, but Joseph, you are. Joseph, you, thou son of David, you are of the lineage of David. And because of that, when Jesus is born and you raise him as your own son, he then becomes a part of the lineage of David. So Joseph, not only do you matter, but in order to make the story of Jesus Christ come full circle and unto completion, not only do you matter, but you are needed in this story. I give you all that history to let you know this. There are some of you I guarantee in here, you're trying to figure out, do I matter? Am I part of this great story of God? You come in Sunday after Sunday and we're trying to tell you that you are important to God, that you are loved by God, you are called by God. And the entire time that we're having these discussions with you, you're sitting in the seats trying to figure out, well, I don't add up. I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the education. I don't have the background. I don't even know if I have the calling. I don't even know if I'm worth the calling myself. But here's what Joseph's story tells us and what the angel is saying to you just as much to Joseph when he says, fear not, as he's saying to you. You matter. Not only do you matter, but you make the story, the plan of God, make sense. Because God has always used the least likely to accomplish his great and masterful plans. He never uses, except for Jesus, superhuman. He always uses people like you and I. People who in the eyes of men would not matter, would not make up. We are the ones that God is calling and God wants to use to change this world. And I love it. He says, uh, fear not. Not only says, fear not, thou son of David. He says, listen, to take Mary unto be your wife. Don't rush past that either. Because literally what the angel is saying to Joseph is this. Not only do I want you to marry Mary, not only do I want you to rear Jesus as your own, but I want you to be the lead in this family. I want you to raise Jesus as, your, as his father. Be the leader. Be the godly man, the just man that I know you to be. Don't be afraid of walking into the authority to which I've called you. That's, that's what we grab from this story. Don't be hesitant. 
Don't worry about what people might say about you. Don't worry about people who know your background, your history. Don't worry about any of those things. Fear not to take the authority that God has called you to. Don't, don't be fearful of all of these things, of none of these things. That's what I love most about the story of God is that he uses some of the most important people to accomplish his great plans. This is why one of my favorite books in scripture is the book of Judges. The book of Judges is powerful because God uses unimportant people like Gideon. Gideon, who was a coward, who was hiding out, threshing wheat in a wine press. He was ducking low so nobody could see him because he didn't want to get his stuff taken. He uses people like Samson. We know him to be the strong man, but Samson had a zipper problem. He couldn't accomplish God's will because he was too busy sleeping around. He uses people by a guy like a guy named Jephthah. Jephthah was, check this out, Jephthah was born of a prostitute. His mom was a prostitute. His father was a married man, and his father wanted nothing to do with him. And God said, I can use you not only to lead God's people, I can use you to bring a mighty uprising with my people. He uses those unimportant people like his disciples. They weren't the best. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Acts, they refer to Peter and John as ordinary, uneducated men. This is the story that we like. But then even in, in modern Christian history, I'm about to take my seat. I love stories of people like uh, the great evangelist D.L. Moody. Now, you may have heard of D.L. Moody. You may have even heard of the seminary, the schools, and the publishing companies that is named after this man. And, and in hindsight, or, or, or from the outside, it would look like D.L. Moody was just this great, great figure, this mountainous man who had this great calling from God who did great things. But if you read the story of D.L. Moody, you'll discover that this man who in the 19th century had thousands of people gathered around to hear him preach the gospel He's not as mountainous or as great as you would think that he was. Here's some quick facts about D.L. Moody that I find um, fascinating. D.L. Moody had a fifth grade education or the equivalent thereof. Wasn't a smart man. He was an uneducated man. This man who has a seminary named after him, who has a publishing company named after him, probably wasn't smart enough to write a book. He's, he's uneducated, but he did, right? At age 18, when he attempted to join a church, uh, he failed the test to become a member. He failed new members class at church. I don't know how you do that. I don't know if there's tests. Uh, I don't know how you can fail new members class, but D.L. Moody, he did, he did. Um, he, was, he was lecturing in England and uh, at, at, I think it was Oxford University, and his speech was so terrible. Check this out. Thousands of people came and hear him every time he spoke, but his speech was so terrible. Here, one, one thing before that, they said that it, his speech was so bad, he was the only person in history they know who could say the word Jerusalem in one syllable. Now, I've been practicing that. I don't know how you can say Jerusalem with one syllable. I, I, I was going to show you all, but I can't do it. That's how bad of a speaker he was. He could say Jerusalem. You, you're just in there practicing, right? I don't know how he did it. He's at this university, and people are excited to see him, and one of the students goes to their professor and said, how dare you? Bring this ignorant human being here to speak to us as though he has anything to say that we need to hear. And this is what some of his greatest antagonists thought about him. The wonderful thing is that D.L. Moody never listened 
to their sayings. He never listened to the naysayers. He didn't care what they had to say because I believe the DL heard the voice of the angel said, Fear not, DL, with your ordinary self, with your uneducated self, with your non-talking self. Fear not to stand before the people of God with all those things working against you and preach the uncompromising gospel and change the world. Fear not to take authority over those things. And because DL Moody chose to take that route, Lives upon lives, thousands of lives have been changed because he didn't care what people said. He only cared about what God said about him. And he took authority upon those things and he listened to the word of God rather listening to the word of man. And because of that, there are people educated daily under the name and auspices of D.L. Moody. There are books being written under the publishing companies. There are leadership systems that have been developed under the name of D.L. Moody because D.L. Moody chose not to fear. He chose not to look at his pedigree. He chose not to look at his education, but rather he looked at what the Lord said about him and because of that, people have been saved. Lives have been change and stories have been written to glorify God because it may not have made sense to anyone else but because of the calling of God on his heart it made sense to D.L. Moody what's in your heart what is it that you're fearful of what is it that you won't move on what is it that you can't sleep on at night What's that thing that's been nagging you that God has been speaking to you about, but you don't trust God enough. You trust the facts, the figures, the numbers. You trust all those things so much that you, you won't move forward. For you, I, I say what the angel said to, to Joseph. Whomever you are, thou son or daughter of Jesus Christ, fear not to take that dream, to take that gift, to take that calling, and to pursue it for the glory of God. Fear not. Please, will you stand with me? said that um, if this world is going to be changed that I believe with every fiber of my being is going to be changed by men and women of average talent if that's the case he's talking about you when it adds up and you just incorporate you and your gifts and your talents it doesn't make sense which is a good thing God in the plan. You plus God always equals a majority. If God be for you, who, what, anything can be against you. Embrace that. Wake up tomorrow with an ethic and an attitude that says, I will not fear. I will go to work. I will go to school. I will go to my neighbors. I will go to my family. And I will take on what I feel like God has placed inside of my heart. Fear not to do that. And here's the thing. What's the worst thing that could happen if you trust God? 
What's the worst thing that can happen if you trust God? I'll tell you, a worst thing does not happen. For he can make all things work together for the good of them who love him and are called according to his purpose. There is no worse thing. And don't worry about what's the results. What are they going to be? For Paul tells us, I'm convinced that neither height nor depth, nor length nor width, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. Don't fear any of it. All of it's a myth. All of it is stories, tales that the enemy is speaking to you to try to keep you from embracing what God has for you. All the things that seem like they're weighing against you, all of the odds, when you put God in the plan, the odds no longer exist. Our God, he's the one who looked into nothing and created everything. So you mean to tell me he can't look into your situation and bring it to life? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. So today, like every Sunday, we gather at the table and we tear off the hunk of bread and we take the cup and every time you do that, here's what you're saying. God, I believe that it was for me. I believe that you were thinking for me, that your body was broken for me, that your blood was shed for me. You are embracing the story of Jesus Christ that begins in this season where we celebrate his birth. So I'm going to pray. And when you make your way to the table, know that this story is written for you. And fear not to move forward in his name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father,